everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, 30 minutes of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Savela. Wherever you may be in this wide, beautiful, crazy world of ours, you are part of this story circle. A number of you contacted me to say that you listened to my interview on Desert Lady Diaries, and I appreciate that. <laughs> I hope you found something of interest in part of my backstory. What I noticed when I listened to it again is that you simply don't know where you're going to end up, or at least I haven't known where I was going to end up. And that's part of what I mean when I talk about keeping the mystery alive. It includes the mystery of your path and purpose, the soul quest in the center of your life, no matter how mundane it might appear from the outside. We're each doing something very interesting here and something that is singularly important. And we definitely, you definitely don't want to be the one to diminish your own story. There are enough pressures from the outside world to do that and the cult of celebrity that distorts our sense of what is meaningful and authentic in life. I think we're also fed the sense that we always know what we're doing, that the people who are really the true geniuses or the ones who are making the major contributions to our society were born knowing. They knew what they were going to do and they doggedly went after it, you know, from age five or whatever. And that's probably true for some people, but it's not true for all of us. And there's a certain value in wandering around. I think it was Kierkegaard who said that life is only understood backwards. And Joseph Campbell also commented that when you get to a certain age, when you've logged enough miles in years to have something really substantial time-wise to survey, uh, that you find that your life has a certain wholeness and the storyline has an integrity that you weren't aware of at the time. And this is certainly true for me. I don't reflect on it a lot unless someone asks. Otherwise, I move through the day as puzzled as ever <laughs> by some of the choices that I make and the people and events that cross my path and what captures my attention. When I look back, I'm frequently astonished at the seeds that were sown very early in my life, in some cases, that are now sprouting. Storytelling, for example, which seemed like a rather random thing for me to do with a PhD in mythology when I started doing it seriously 10 years ago. But Every now and then I stop and think about it and I realize, oh my goodness, when I was in grade school, I was telling stories and writing stories. In fact, one of the primary activities on those hot summer afternoons in my childhood in Ohio was making up stories to tell the neighborhood kids. Funny, huh? So anyway, it, it, there's a little bit of that in this story that I'm going to share with you today, The Maiden King 
which is also known as the Tsar Maiden. And you might recognize the title because I have told you this Russian fairy tale before. But the story is inexhaustible, of course, especially if you approach it with respect and imagination. The story changes and you change. And we don't know where we're going to end up. And the fact is that as I've been thinking about this question of how do we end up where we end up, this story, the Tsar Maiden, kept coming to mind. And part of me resisted telling it because I had told it to you before and because I had thought about the story in a different way the first time round. But it kept kind of insisting. In fact, this is the real story here. I picked up another collection of stories that I have had laying on my desk for months that I've been intending to read. I picked that up thinking, okay, I'm going to find a new story. I'm going to get off of this czar maiden thing. And I opened the book at random, and yes, that's right. I opened it to the czar maiden. Okay, so I can't ignore a message like that. And there's a lesson there, too, for me and maybe for you about moving too fast, not really letting yourself be impacted or fully digesting something. I think we often capitulate to this restless search for the novel, for something new, for the quick fix, rather than staying with the practice or the story or the epiphany that we've already uncovered or started to work with. And the longer that I do this work, the more I am understanding that the great challenge and obstacle and gift of doing depth work, like sitting with story as we do together in this program, is patience. (laughs) So we're going to be talking about the Maidens Are again today. Now before I tell the story, I want to take a moment to mention two workshops that I'm offering for women. Uh, I'm offering a workshop called The Heroine's Journey in Bozeman, Montana, the weekend of September 14th through 16th. We're going to be using the myth of Psyche and Eros to take a closer, more soulful look at our lives. And the purpose of this workshop isn't to tell you what your life arc should look like. It's to provide creative ways for you to explore it, with the idea being that when we've got the energy of a group of women gathered, we can find some new insights, inspire, and empower each other. So that is a quest for alternatives to the current paradigm. And speaking of quest for alternatives, the weekend of November 2nd through 4th at the Joshua Tree Retreat Center here in Joshua Tree, I'm going to be offering another workshop for women called The Female Face of the Divine. I'm going to be using the Sumerian myth of the goddess Inanna as one of our guides. And in our time together, we'll consider some of her essential attributes and how they relate to our life experience. This isn't about cataloging goddesses, nor is it about belief. It's about 
looking at the commonalities in our notion of the divine as female to deepen our understanding and connection with her as contemporary women. We are going to create some ways to bring awareness of the goddess into daily life. So if you're already grounded in a spiritual or personal paradigm, then I invite you to come and move deeper into your vision. And if all of this is new to you, welcome. Because she is an opening into the divine for any person of any gender or race or belief system and a way to deeper communion with the world and yourself. There's more information on these workshops available at my home website which is mythicmojo.com. Okay, so back to this mysterious arc of our lives, how it is that each of us can be making decisions and choices and taking steps and yet be perpetually surprised by where we end up and how our journey unfolds. Let's see what the Tsar Maiden can tell us about that. I invite you to sit back and relax and listen. Just let the story stir your imagination and pay attention to the moment or detail in the story that really grabs you. This is your way into the story right now. The Tsar Maiden Once upon a time, in a certain kingdom, there was a merchant. His wife died and he had only one son named Ivan. He found his son a tutor, and after a certain time, he remarried. Now, Ivan, the merchant's son, was already grown up at this point, and he was very handsome, and his stepmother fell in love with him. One day, Ivan and his tutor went off to go fishing. They went off onto the sea in a little raft. And while they were out there on the waves, they suddenly saw 30 ships sailing towards them. The Tsar Maiden was on one of those ships with 30 other maidens, her foster sisters. And these 30 ships came up to the little raft. All 30 of them dropped anchor, and they invited Ivan and his tutor onto the very best ship. There, the Tsar Maiden and the thirty maidens met them, and the Tsar Maiden told Ivan that she'd fallen deeply in love with him and had come to meet him, and they exchanged rings on the spot, and they got engaged to be married. So the Tsar Maiden told Ivan, you know, I need you to come back to the same place tomorrow at the same time. And she said goodbye to him, and the thirty ships sailed away. And they went back home. And when they got home, Ivan went to go and eat dinner, and he laid down and went to sleep. But the stepmother called the tutor into her room, and she plied him with lots of strong drink and asked him questions about what had happened while the two of them were out fishing. And the tutor told her everything. When she'd heard all of this, she gave the tutor a pin and said, Tomorrow, when the ships start to sail close to you, I want you to stick this pin into Ivan's clothes. 
and the tutor promised that he would do as she had ordered. The next morning, Ivan, the merchant's son, got up and he went off fishing with his tutor. And as soon as they spied the ships off in the distance, the tutor snuck up behind him and stuck the pin into Ivan's clothes. Oh, my goodness, said Ivan. Wow, I don't know what's come over me, but I'm suddenly very tired. I'm going to lay down and sleep a little bit. But when the ships get close, you wake me up. Oh, okay, sure, of course. Why wouldn't I do that, said the tutor. And the ships sailed up, and they dropped anchor. And the Tsar maiden sent for Ivan and told him to come see her on board at once. But he was sleeping soundly. He was sleeping like a log. And they tried to wake him. They jostled him around and pushed him. And no matter what they did, they couldn't wake him up. And so finally... The Tsar Maiden and her 30 foster sister maidens left. And as she was about to sail away, she turned to the tutor and she said, Well, I guess tell Ivan to come back again tomorrow. And then they raised anchor and they sailed away. And as soon as they sailed away, the tutor reached over and pulled the pin out of Ivan's clothes, and immediately he woke up. And he jumped up and he started to shout, come back, come back, come back, in the direction of the ships, but it was too late. She was already too far away, and she didn't hear him. Ivan was totally dejected, and he and the tutor just went home. He went to his room and lay down, And again, the stepmother called the tutor into her room and got him drunk and asked him about everything that had happened. And again, she told him, stick this pin in Ivan's clothes when you see the ships. That next day, Ivan, the merchant's son, went off to fish with his tutor. And once again, the tutor produced the pin at exactly the right time, and he slept through the whole thing, and he didn't see the Tsar Maiden. She told the tutor that he should be back there one more time, bring Ivan back one more time. So on the third day, he and the tutor went out there, and they sailed to the same place, and they saw the ship sailing in from far away, and as soon as they saw those sails, the tutor stuck in the pin, and Ivan fell asleep. The ships came close and dropped anchor. And the Tsar maiden sent for her fiancé to come and see her on the ship. And again, they tried to wake him up in every possible way, but no matter what they did, they could not get him to come to. And now the Tsar maiden understood that something fishy, something not right was going on. And so she wrote a little note to Ivan, telling him that he should cut off the tutor's head. And that if he loved her, if he truly loved her, he was not going to have to come to her. He would have to seek her beyond the thrice nine lands in this thrice tenth kingdom. No sooner had the ships spread their sails and sailed off into the open sea 
Then the tutor again yanked the little pin out of Ivan, the merchant's son's clothes. And again, Ivan leapt up, saw the sails receding in the distance, and started shouting loudly and calling to his beloved, the Tsar Maiden, to come back. But she was too far away to hear anything. He turned to the tutor, and the tutor said, Well, gee, that's bad luck. Uh, She left you a note, though. And he handed Ivan the letter from the Tsar Maiden. Ivan read it. And he snatched out his sharp sword and cut off the evil tutor's head. And then he quickly made for shore. He went home. He said goodbye to his father. And he set off to look for the thrice tenth kingdom. He walked wherever his eyes led him. He walked for a very long time. We don't know. It's a story time. And eventually he came to a little house. This little house was standing in an open field, and it was turning around and around and around on chicken legs because this was the house of a Baba Yaga. He went into the little house, and there she was, a Baba Yaga. She looked up and said, Fie, fie, sniff, sniff, what do you know? Uh, There was no sight or sound of a Russian spirit before, but now it's come by itself. So tell me, young man, are you here by your own free will or by compulsion? I'm here as much by will, but twice as much by compulsion, grandmother, he said. Do you happen to know Baba Yaga, the thrice tenth kingdom? No, I don't, she said. But why don't you keep walking and go see my middle sister? Maybe that one knows. Thank you, said Ivan, and he set off walking again. And again he walked and he walked and he walked near, far, long, short, we don't know, until he came to another little house of the same kind, another another little house on those chicken legs. And he went into that one, and there was another Baba Yaga. Fie, fie, she said. Hey, there was no sight or sound of the Russian spirit, but now it's come by itself. Tell me, young man, are you here by your own free will or by compulsion? So much by free will, but twice as much by compulsion, said Ivan. Baba, do you happen to know where the thrice tenth kingdom is? No, I don't, she said. But why don't you go see my younger sister? Maybe she will know. And, um... If she gets angry at you and tries to eat you, take three horns from her and ask to play on them. Don't play the first horn too loudly. Play that first horn very softly and then play the second one a little bit louder and then play the third one really loud. Thank you, said Ivan, and he walked on. And he walked and he walked. He walked for a long time. Long distance, short distance, we don't know. Once again, we're still in story time until he saw the little house. Another one of those little houses spinning around on chicken legs in an open field. He went inside, and there was a Baba Yaga. Fie, fie, she said. There was no sight or sound of the Russian, but here it's come all by itself. And she ran to get her file to sharpen her teeth so she could eat Ivan on the spot. Wait, 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 said Ivan. You are to give me three horns. She stopped, and she handed him three horns. 
He took the first one and he blew ever so softly on the first one. And then he took the second one and he blew louder. And then on the third one, he blew a very loud sound. And suddenly, all kinds of birds flew in from all different directions. Among them was a firebird. The firebird circled around and came and landed right by Ivan and said, Climb up on me as quickly as you can and we'll fly wherever you need to go. Otherwise, the Baba Yaga will eat you up. Ivan grabbed onto the bird and he just barely managed to climb up onto its back when Baba came running. And just as the bird took up, she reached up and grabbed it by the tail and yanked out a few feathers. But they got away. The firebird flew with Ivan, the merchant's son, for a long time. It soared along through the sky, and finally it landed beside the sea. Well, Ivan, the merchant's son, the thrice-tenth kingdom lies over this sea. I don't have the strength to carry you over to the other side. You're going to have to make your way across, however you can. Ivan slid off the back of the firebird. Thank you he said, and he started walking along the shore. He walked, and he walked, until he came to a little house. And he knocked on the door, and he went inside, and there was an old woman. She said, hello, and looked at him with curiosity, but she gave him food and drink, and she asked him, where are you going, and why are you wandering out here? Well, he said, I am on my way to the thrice-tenth kingdom, where I hope to find the Tsar Maiden, my fiancé. Ah, ah, said the old woman. Sorry to tell you this, but she has already fallen out of love with you. In fact, if she sets eyes on you, that Tsar Maiden will tear you apart. Her love has been hidden very far away. How can I get a hold of it? Well... The old woman thought, I know, wait a bit. My daughter lives with the Tsar Maiden, and she promised to come and see me for a little while today. Maybe she can help us. Maybe she can find out. Then the old woman turned Ivan the merchant's son into a pin and stuck it in the wall. That evening, the daughter flew in, and the mother asked her, did she happen to know where the Tsar Maiden's Love was hidden. Oh, I don't know, the daughter said. But I will ask the Tsar Maiden herself and come back and see you tomorrow. The next day, she came flying in again to her mother and she said, Okay, her love is on the other side of the ocean. On the other side of the ocean, there's an oak. And in that oak tree, there is a chest. And in the chest, there is a hare. And in the hare, there is a duck. And in the duck, there is an egg. And in that egg is the Tsar Maiden's love. And then she flew away. Ivan came out. He took some bread, and he set off for the place that she had described. Sure enough, he found the oak tree. He took down the chest and opened it and pulled out a hare. Out of the hare, he pulled a duck. And then he pulled an egg out of the duck and he brought that little egg back to the old woman it's going to be my birthday soon she said 
and I will invite the Tsar Maiden and the 30 other maidens as guests to my birthday party. When the day came, she baked the egg. She dressed Ivan up in very nice clothes and hid him. At noon, the Tsar Maiden and the 30 other maidens flew in all at once and sat down at the table and began to eat the old woman's birthday lunch. After the meal, the old woman served each of them an ordinary egg, but she gave the Tsar Maiden the very egg that Ivan the merchant's son had found. And when the Tsar Maiden ate the egg, at that moment she fell deeply, deeply in love with Ivan. The old woman brought him out, and there was such merriment. Everyone was so happy. They were so happy to see each other. And the Tsar Maiden left together with her fiancé, Ivan, for her kingdom, where they were married and began to live and thrive and store up riches. Okay. (laughs) Now, if anybody ever followed a chain of clues that seemed to make no sense at all, I would say Ivan did that. Now, just a comment for a moment on the marriage. Now, this theme of the male and the female, the feminine and the masculine, there are so many stories about that. And I think that's indicative of its primary significance, of how much it matters to all of us, the repressed herstory before history. That, as we know, the terminology is shifting and genders are revealing their fluidity. So while I think it's very important to keep in mind our need for this inner union of masculine and feminine, I think we can also think of this marriage as being our recovery and union with that which completes you, an aspect of self with a capital S, perhaps soul that brings you there, something in you that you need to come into conscious relationship with. And it's a process. That's what this story is about. There are lots of symbols that could be unpacked, the oak tree and the hair and the egg. But what I'm noticing, because of my question, (laughs) is the process. And that there's a lot of starting and stopping, falling asleep, the betrayals, and the possibility of missing it all together. I mean, the Tsar Maiden falls out of love with him. She hides her love away. She doesn't wait around. And yet, the situation can be redeemed. It's redeemed because he meets that Baba Yaga at the crossroads. And she sets Ivan in the right direction. Baba Yagas, there are three in this story. Baba Yaga is the one who both feeds and eats. She is the old mother of blood and bones, the life force. You can think of her as everything that has to do with the earth and with life of the carbon-based body. Life and death, both. That reality, how they fit together. Material matters, nurturance, sustenance, health and disease. What is the meaning of meeting her, do you think? Well, the Baba Yaga is a particular kind of mother, isn't she? She's the transpersonal earth mother, kind of like the goddess, the Hindu goddess Kali. 
And we've got other mothers in this story. We have the good mother who died, Ivan's good mother who died, and then we have the bad stepmother. And it occurs to me that most of us have the good mother who dies and the bad stepmother because our mothers carry those two aspects. And because women are degraded, all mothers are wounded, and they pass that along to us. So none of us get what we really need completely, right? And I wonder, do we reconcile ourselves to this and move past our personal stories and our projections on our mothers by meeting the Baba who brings both of those aspects together on a transpersonal and earth plane? Is it possible that we can resolve the paradox of how our mother can be both the good and the bad mother, both the loving mother and the stepmother, by meeting the Baba, who embodies both of those, embodies both of those in a way that is beyond our personal story? Over the years, I've come to understand that there's a point in your life where if you really want to get on with it, if you really want to meet life You have to turn away from the life story that you tell, the one that you have developed that is bound up completely with your family and your immediate circle. It's not a matter of getting rid of it. You take that with you. But you have to turn to life itself and be aware of your essential solitariness. It's as if the childhood dramas with parents and siblings and teachers and the like no longer define your identity, but rather comprise your provisions and tools and, yes, baggage on the journey. We learn to sort through all of this impartially. And I think this is a corollary to developing that witness that's talked about so often in spiritual paradigms the observer, the one who can see the activity of the ego. The Baba will help you do this. And she loves paradox. She is paradox. Don't you love that question that she asks? Are you here of free will or compulsion? Both, Ivan says. And isn't it both? I mean, isn't that part of the mystery of our path and our purpose, that we keep going and surrender at the same time? The Baba Yaga is beyond all gods and devils. She can't be killed. If she is killed in a story, then another Baba comes up and takes her place. She's inscrutable. She operates by her own rules. We don't really know why she does any of the things that she does, although there is usually some sort of test involved. The Baba is also an initiator into the mysteries. And I'm talking about the mysteries of life and death, but in this context, I'm also talking about this mystery of how you actually make your way in your life. Baba's initiation helps you develop the character and skills necessary for survival, like perseverance and discernment. Seems like she teaches you that you shouldn't kid yourself about what's going to be required to reconcile a conflict or get something of value. I mean... She kept sending Ivan on to the next, to the next, to the next, to the third. The third Baba Yaga could have eaten him. And I think that one of the other things we develop in our meeting with her is an objective view of life. The realization that things happen 
and they might happen to you, but it's not personal. When you get that, you can be a participant in the larger scheme of things and stop being a victim. Now, I'm about out of time here, but I found a poem by Gary Snyder titled Old Woman Nature that I've got to close with because it sounds so much like the Baba to me. Old Woman Nature naturally has a bag of bones tucked away somewhere, a whole room full of bones, a scattering of hair and cartilage bits in the woods, a fox scat with hair and a tooth in it, a shell mound, a bone flake in a stream bank, a purring cat crunching the mouse head first, eating on down toward the tail, the sweet old woman calmly gathering firewood in the moon. Don't be shocked. She's heating you some soup. And that's it for me, Catherine Savela and Myth in the Mojave for this week. Feel free to contact me if you have questions or comments about today's program. If you're finding something value in Myth in the Mojave, I hope you'll consider joining the Myth in the Mojave community on Bandcamp. For only $5 a month, you have unlimited access to all of the Myth in the Mojave programs archived there. That would include my other first telling of this story, (laughs) as well as free downloads of everything new that I'm creating. And you will play an essential role in making future programs possible. Thank you so much for listening. Please tune in next time. And until then, happy myth-making and keep the mystery in and of your life alive. <laughs>